Troublemakers in the church can cause a lot of problems. That's why we call them troublemakers. But the question is, when do we have to kick them out? When do we have to confront them in such a way to where we remove them from the fellowship known as the church? Well, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about in today's podcast. So turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and let's get into it. Hey there, my friends, Jason Menes here. So glad that you guys are tuning in to another episode as we continue our study here on Stand Strong in the Word in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, where we help you stand strong in not just your knowledge of Scripture, but that you would live it out faithfully and obediently to do the things that God has called you to do. And we want to teach you guys in chronological order so you have proper context. And as we do that, to teach you hermeneutics that is how you come to the scriptures contextually and understand it on levels of not just history not just geographical sense not just in linguistic you know in terms of the original language but when you take that and you observe the text and you study it and you interpret it hopefully properly through the illumination of the holy spirit that we see in first corinthians chapter 2 but that you know how to apply it in your life. And that is so foundational. So I pray as we continue our study here and we end in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 13 to the very end to verse 18. And I pray that this will be blessings over you because at the end we will see that there's a great benediction that Paul gives, one that is frequently used uh, by pastors that they extend their hand of blessing to their congregation and say, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times. Don't we need peace today, my friends? No matter what is happening on the news, what we're seeing happening around the world, or you're having a great day and you open your Twitter feed and you see nothing but chaos and disaster. You see Christians being persecuted. You see human trafficking. You see abortions on the rise. You see the debates out on the streets and riots taking place. You see hatred, racial slurs, you name it. And we can become discouraged and we can lose our focus. More importantly, we can feel that we have no peace in our lives. So as we transition to this last passage, this is important because it's about making sure that we do have peace. So here in podcast 215, we're going to talk about how we are to confront freeloaders or troublemakers. Last podcast, if you missed it, called The Burden of Church Freeloaders, we looked at verses 6 through 12. And there we discovered what Paul's referencing with people who, again, are not only taking advantage of the system, meaning when the church, right, exists to stir up love and good works as we glorify and worship our Savior and exercise within the body of believers our spiritual gifts to edify one another, to be grounded in God's word and to be called out to make disciples. So fundamentally, if you look at the church, the church body is not made up of non-believers. It's not evangelizing the lost. Doesn't mean that you can't have somebody who doesn't know Christ come to church and hear a sermon. 
But the purpose of the church with Christ as the head is to worship our Savior, to gather together in fellowship. And boy, don't we need that today. We need more communities who are grounded in God's word and holding steadfast and meeting the needs of one another. And so when you have people who take advantage of that system, they take advantage of hospitality, they not only cause a burden, uh, that literally, remember, talked about to expect and, and demand financial support. So they became a burden, meaning they're demanding people. And Paul was saying in verse 89, I didn't come taking advantage of you guys. And so when people are taking advantage of you, it is within your right as a Christian to refuse. Don't play games. Don't fall into this. And, and you can hear even in the sound of my voice when I'm stressing that because I fell prey to that through the years as a pastor or in a friendship with a person. And dare I say even people that you share the same blood. You come from the same heritage and you just continue to overlook their cause, causes of, of, of being a, a, a troublemaker and causing conflict and turmoil in your life. And you keep giving them a pass and you keep making excuses and it progressively gets worse. And many people start getting angry, it's causing more issues in their life or they blast that individual because then hatred ensues and they didn't have it in control. They didn't have it in check. All sorts of problems, my friends. And so when the Bible, when Paul here in the Bible is talking about, we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but they're busy bodies. So not only do you have people who are church uh, freeloaders who are demanding that we meet their needs and they're not willing to work for it. But you also have people who are meddlers. They're getting involved in your business. And these individuals, they are forcing themselves into their personal affairs of people. So not only are they expecting for you to give to them personally, but they're also invading your privacy and they're getting involved in personal affairs. And we are not to tolerate that. We're not to accept that. So when verse 12, when Paul says here, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly. That's a command. Paul's tone is very stern here. We urge you. Admonish the idol. We have to call these people out. He said that going back in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 14. He's bringing it up again because it is vital. We cannot overlook this. As we admonish the idol, we are encouraging the faint-hearted. And many, in many people, many commentaries believe that the faint-hearted is a result of the idol. Okay? Not entirely, but that is true. I cannot tell you how many people I have ministered to and with, and myself included. And I've had to talk to people who have spoken truth into my life. You become faint-hearted because... You lose sight of why you're doing something or you let the idleness of others get to you. We are to help the weak. We're to be patient with them no matter who it is, okay? And that's key. So the idlers must have gotten worse at this point. And so how does Paul want to end this? And that's where we pick things up in this continual study of, of dealing with people who are freeloaders, 
But notice he says now in verse 13, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. So here's a transition. And that's why I wanted to close things out last week. So I pick up this as kind of a part two, because when he says that they are to live uh, quiet lives and earn their own living, okay, um, he wants them to work with quietude. He, he, he wants them to live a life that, that is of order. And then he says, as for you, and I love this because Paul doesn't just focus in on the people who are causing the problems. He's also trying to keep healthy those who are trying to deal with these problems and not lose them. And, and I, I feel that this is so true in what I see regularly is so often, and if you are, if you're a minister of the gospel, if, if God has called you specifically your full-time ministry, where you are, you are ministering to souls day in and day out, you can say, yeah, that's what I'm called to do. That's my job. But how little do a lot of these people who are in ministry are feeling that people are, are helping them? And you can grow weary. So despite the problems and the burdens, right, my friends, we are to remain obedient we are to remain joyful in our service unto the Lord. That's one thing I love when I'm in discussion with people in ministry that have been called full-time, whether a full-time missionary, traveling the world, uh, doing Bible translation, doing church plants, biblical counseling, pastoral work, whatever the case may be. I love talking to people who've been doing it for well over 15 years, Okay. In many respects, people who are in ministry maybe for about 10 years, they're still a novice in many, in many respects. But when you get somebody 15 plus, especially 20 plus, right? You're talking to somebody who has been doing it for quite some time where you're, they're not a novice. I'm not saying they're fully mature and, and most of them wouldn't even say that. We're always learning. We're always growing. And we're humbled by the work that God has called us to do and we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. But... It's amazing when you hear from people who've been doing it for quite some time and they're not a novice and this is what they know. This is what they've been called to do. And you don't see them growing weary. Of course, they've had their periods of time, but there's joy in their life 20 years in the making, right? They love, it's hard. I tell people, ministry oftentimes is not a joyous you know time but doing it is very joyful and fulfilling because it's hard it's hard to to sit in a nursing home um, with somebody who has alzheimer's and you're there to pray for them and read scripture over them it's hard when you're conducting a funeral of a child who committed suicide that's hard it's hard to sit in a room with a couple who is going to get a divorce and seeing the repercussions and trying to help them work through it. Or when you have somebody who contacts you who's been uh, spiritually abused or physically sexually abused. It's hard when you're trying to even just teach the word of God to an audience where it feels like it's falling on deaf ears, right? When you're not getting anybody responding and it's also hard just dealing with the, the attacks of the enemy. And so people can grow weary, but Paul encourages the faithful servants of Christ not to lose heart in their service unto the Lord. 
And I say that to you guys right now listening. We're all called as ministers of the gospel. Every one of you guys listening have gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you. And the question is, are you growing weary in doing good? This phrase doing good has more to do with living in accordance with the conduct of Christ. Are you struggling there? So set aside the problems that we have with people. It's hard, my friends, in this body of death with the doubts that sometimes consume us and the lazy streaks or the distractions or the lusts, the temptations that we face. It's hard to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so we're not to grow weary in that. We are to be careful not to take on too much. And if there are things you're struggling with, to talk to someone, someone that you can count on, someone that you can trust. You see, the more that you do, um, the more tired and frustrated you become. I just was reading an article about uh, a particular famous writer, um, executive producer in the Hollywood industry, right? And their shows are a huge hit and there's a bunch of spinoffs and there's a bunch of drama. And so one of the, one of the original shows, they don't know if they're going to continue because of the drama and this, the, the, the cast and the producers of this particular show are getting so frustrated because the creator, the writer is everything. Um, and it's like a huge ego this person has. And everybody knows it, right? And it's now causing a lot of the creativity to be stifled. There's a lot of people who are quitting. They're not coming back. Uh, there's threats of other people quitting and not coming back. And so, of course, the 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 uh, uh, the big Hollywood studios are trying to step in there and trying to resolve this kind of stuff. And they're spending a lot of time and money uh, to see how they can fix this. But this individual who's really the one behind it all that's causing these problems because of their big ego... If, if they're not being productive, then everybody else is not working, right? And so they're not meeting, this person's not meeting certain deadlines. And so when people have carved out time uh, and those people come to, hey, let's make this, let's make these shows and they're not ready, it's because this person has taken on too much. They're doing too many spinoffs and they have all these other, uh, you know, plans in the works and no longer does that person have the attention span in the time that they once were committed to that were actually really led to the success of this person. And now it's just like falling apart. And I couldn't help when I was reading that thinking of people in the ministry, the more you do, the more tired and frustrated you will become. And so the key is to never tire while living a life that pleases and honors the Lord. And you think, well, how, Jay, how do I do that? Well, again, we can get into that, um, and but we lose some focus on the text here. But let me just say this. You will know. First and foremost, spend time in the presence of the Lord and meditate on his word day and night. Spend time, make, make an effort, carve out time, like literally put it on your calendar and get alerts to say time to pray. Even if you start with 10, 15 minutes of uninterrupted time where you can adore him, Confess your sins, offer thanksgiving, and give supplication on behalf of people around you. Make intercession for them. And you will see, my friends, you will see drastic change in how you feel and you will not be growing weary because you're spending time with the Lord who will refresh you and restore you and be reminded of the joy that you have in Christ. So yes, because of that, the, the, the joyful spirit that you have which is, it was a fruit of the spirit. 
you will be joyful in the work that you're doing, though it's hard and difficult and you may not have the answers sometimes. That is so important. So we're not to grow weary while doing good. So when you're dealing with church freeloaders, when you're dealing with idlers, when you're dealing with difficult people and you're dealing with troublemakers, don't, go, don't grow weary while you're doing good. Now, part of doing good, notice verse 14, is if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. Notice if you are taking on too much or the focus isn't on the state of where the people are at, you're not going to be taking note that's literally the idea there is, is keying in on, being sensitive, being aware, and being knowing the sheep. So the language that Paul uses depicts a social ostracism that removes the person from Christian fellowship. My friends, we need to be doing that more. We need to be doing that more. We think that the church doors are just open to anyone and everybody, and it stays that way no matter what, and we have no rights in leadership for the leadership to exercise discipline, not in the culture today about self-autonomy. You can't tell me what to do. And when you have a generation or two that have been raised without proper biblical discipline, when you have a generation that was not told no, and mommy and daddy are trying to be their best friend and they raise them in a quote unquote Christian home, do you think they're teaching about the discipline of God, the fear of God? And so when you have somebody who is more mature and older and who's in leadership and says, hey, we don't believe this here. You need to stop that or you need to stop taking advantage of people. You need to stop being a freeloader. You need to work with your own hands. You need to, you need to live a quiet life and to earn your own living. And they take offense to that and they publicize that on social media. Like we're not to put up with that. You know, such discipline, this social ostracism, this is enacted because the idler uh, is a brother or sister in Christ. So we're not saying this person isn't saved. There's a cases where they might be. But what Paul's specifically dealing with when he's talking about if you know of somebody who's not obeying what we say and what did you say? We command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do your work quietly and to earn your own living. Why does he say that? Because we heard, he says, that there are people who are walking in the, in the midst, people who are among you who are walking in idleness, meaning there's a pattern of false living, sinful living. They're not busy at work, but they're busy doing what? Meddling in your business. That is wrong. What are you to do? If they're not obeying this letter, if they're not doing what they should be doing, then you need to enact a level of social ostracism. You need to remove them from Christian fellowship, okay, for a time being. Now, the Bible Knowledge Commentary puts it like this, quote, the faithful were not to have social contact with an idle person till he or she repented. The purpose of this social ostracism was to make the offender feel ashamed of himself so that he would repent. Did you catch that? That's, that's the point of it. Hey, listen, what you're doing is sinful and we're not going to put up with it, but we love you. You are a brother or a sister in Christ, but you're very immature and there's a, there's a laziness in you. There's a stubbornness in you that we are praying for you uh, to repent of, to recognize and to get help. And we're here to help you. But if you're not going to listen, we have to remove you. 
from this church. We have to remove you from this Bible study. You know, I had to do that uh, not too long ago with someone who I thought was my friend. And over time, things just, just got ugly. And, you know, so I had to tell a few other friends like, hey, this person's no longer uh, invited uh, by me to be in this Christian fellowship because of their sin. And rather than look at their sin, they're, look, they're trying to point failure in my life and, and, and say things that were false. And you, you just can't put up with that. Now, it's, it's hurtful, it's sad, but you have to do this according to scripture. So the, the commentary continues to say, the design of divine discipline is always to produce repentance, not division. And that's what my, that was my prayer. I said, hopefully by removing you, you'll realize what you were doing and why it was harmful to people around you and also for you, right? And that they repent. Social pressure can be effective in helping an erring person come to his or her senses. This is exactly what Paul advocated in this case. Ostracism from the body of believers should help such a person be ashamed and fill his separation from fellowship with the head of the body, Jesus Christ, end quote. So this is what Paul's saying when he says, take note of that person, have nothing to do with him. That's not saying reject them. See, this is how we kind of always filter things because of our sensitivity. Or we take it out of context because of our emotions are so high. We're so ultra sensitive and that kind of snowflake mentality. But notice it says, have nothing to do with the meaning social ostracism, remove them for a time being. Why? So that they might be ashamed. That they can say, you know what, you're right. And thank you for that discipline. Any parent listening, knowing at the time it may, your, your child may have been upset with you because you were preventing them. And in their mind, you're so strict and that your rules are ridiculous. And so-and-so gets to do this. And so-and-so gets to have their phone. And so-and-so gets to be on the social media. Or so-and-so gets to go to this concert or go to that sleepover or that party or whatever it is. And they just see you saying, no, 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 no. That you have no fun. When in reality, when you are stepping in there with not just your rules, but you have a relationship. And in that relationship, you do have standards. You do have order. You do have accountability. They may not see that right now, but over time they will. I just was talking to one of my teenage sons. And we're just talking about the anxiety that some of his friends are feeling. And a lot of them just, they go to bed so late and they really have no time to go to bed and they got devices open and they sleep with their phone, all kind of stuff. That's a disaster. It is. It, it has this built up aggression in kids, especially boys, and it builds a lot more anxiety into their life because they don't, they're never settled. They're always trying to click and be connected to something and they can never disconnect and just let their mind wander and even experience a level of boredom to where b before they go to bed, they can they just kind of go restfully and settle their mind before they go into a deep sleep. Instead, they fall asleep watching something and they wake up at two o'clock in the morning and the TV's on and, and somebody had already been messaging them and, and they'll be messaging them back and then they can't sleep and so they'll get open the computer and think about that. That is horrible. So th this whole idea of, of, of divine discipline, when we have that in our child's life, we have to, as ordained ministers, people who are shepherds in local churches, 
these God-ordained individuals, they are to exercise this social ostracism to people who are causing problems within the church. Now notice what he says in verse 15, do not regard him as an enemy. See, that is so powerful. Again, let's look at context. Paul transitions to make sure that people that are doing the work of God are not growing weary while they're doing good. Two, recognizing that, listen, there are going to be people who are not going to listen to this. You have to take note of these people and we have to address this, okay? This is going to help the body of Christ. But when you do this, notice he says, don't hate them. Don't regard them as an enemy. That's the word hate. Don't hate them. But notice he says, but warn him as a brother or warn her as a sister. You see, church discipline is never to be carried out harshly, but is to be conducted in a gracious yet firm manner. Go back to parenting. A parent who parents their child in love will not allow them to get away with things. If there's a behavior that is causing friction in the family and hurting others in the family, it is your sole responsibility. It is your duty to step in there and to bring order. So again, this is a powerful way to think it in that way as a parent disciplining his or her child. So this word warn in Greek means to admonish or to instruct. So, but warn him as a brother. That means admonish this brother, goes back to 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 14, but to instruct them. So here's the thing. The other thing, and this is where I think a lot of churches have broke, they have a broken system because number one, it is about the system and not the Holy Spirit, Okay. I cannot tell you how many meetings in my life in ministry I've been in where these, quote, church discipline meetings was all about making sure this individual who, in their mind, is a troublemaker. Why? Because they're not buying into their system. They're not submissive to the men in charge. And they say to them, hey, this is our way, not your way. And if you can't be a part of what we want you, what we have assigned you to do, and you should be grateful, you should be privileged to be in this system, to be at this church, to be under pastor so-and-so, reverend so-and-so. That's not church discipline. That's bullying. That's church uh, um, bullying. That's what that is. And so here, what we see is an instructing. When you discipline someone, there are times, my friends, where people who are being idle, people who are being meddler, maybe they weren't discipled. Maybe they lack maturity and that's why they've allowed, they allow these things to get to them. And if you don't properly and maturely and graciously, but firmly, uh, uh, not just admonish, but instruct them and teach them how not to do that, then we're missing it. You're a problem in this church. We don't like troublemakers. Get out of here. Until you fix your problems, you can't come back. That's not what Paul's saying here. But that's what a lot of deconverted Christians regurgitate or vomit up. And I think a lot of their stories are factually true. That that actually did happen to them, how they were mistreated. And that is sad. It's not solely the reason why they turned from Christianity. It's a big reason. So it does matter. And that's why Paul reiterates the need to discipline idlers in his letter. Again, verse five or chapter five, verse 14 of the first letter. 
He's urging them to admonish the idlers. Don't overlook this. If you go to the New Testament, because some of you guys might be thinking, okay, I get that, but but how important? Well, let's look at the, the context of Scripture. Let's look at various passages. We see at different levels we are to enact church discipline. We are to do it. There are times, according to Matthew 18, verses 15 and 18, and Philippians 4, verses 1 through 3, and 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12, we are to confront or we are to admonish a fellow Christian. Another level is if there is a brother or sister who is overtaken by sin, according to Galatians 6, 1 through 3, we are to help them. We are to take up their load, their burden. Another level is we are to rebuke somebody who is in who is uh, teaching uh, false doctrine who's teaching heresy their movement their um, teachings are heretical they are in doctrinal error according to second timothy 2 23 through 26 and titus 1 10 through 14 there's another another level which we've been discussing where we're to cast out a repeated troublemaker according to titus 3 verse 10 and that's where i believe actually where paul links these pastoral letters because um, I, I really include First and Second Thessalonians, not just First and Second Timothy and Titus as, as pastoral letters. I throw in First and Second Thessalonians. And so I think that's what Paul's dealing with here in Second Thessalonians 3 to Titus chapter 3 verse 10 is a progression now when you don't deal with these idlers and these people who become warped and self-condemned. It's like that spoiled child. If you've allowed them for quite some time, how do you expect then by the time they're 10, 11, 12 to just change their ways and not just have manners, but know how to be respectful to their elders? So what Paul's doing here and what we need to look in our own lives and our own churches right now. Now, obviously, if you're a Christian and you serve at your church, but you're not in leadership, and directing the vision of the church and, you know, running, you know, these committees or whatever. I'm not saying there's nothing you can do. What I'm saying is like what Paul's doing here and exhorting the Thessalonians, this is how you are to treat people that you encounter at your church. And if it gets to a point where you need to address it with a, an elder of the church, um, a pastor of the church, which are elders, then you need to talk to them respectfully, confidentially, that's what we're to, that's how we're to treat a fellow brethren. Okay. So discipline when, when, when we discipline them in the Lord, the idea here is that they repent of their sins and that they be restored back into Christian fellowship. That's what we focus in on. Not using this as an upper opportunity to rid yourself of this problem. And boy, did I feel that years ago when I was young in the ministry there are times I look for ways to just really, quote, encourage people to leave because I didn't like them. Either they're, they were causing problems, um, always finding fault. I mean, man, I can write a book about all the stuff. I, and it is just sickening sometimes to think that's a Christian. You call yourself a Christian and you're just a horrible person the way you treat people, Okay. And, but it's still a lot of times it's not enough to where it's like social ostracize this person, get them out of the church just because they're kind of mean spirited sometimes or they, they object all the time and they don't just really always submit. So it's a case by case basis. I think sometimes we, we rid people so fast 
just because they opposed a, a decision or they disagreed with it, okay, or they shared their point of view and the leadership was offended by that and they let their ego and pride get in the way and so they labeled that person as a troublemaker. So I get it, guys. There's some, there's sometimes there's both sides of this. But what we're just generally speaking in context is when you have godly leadership and you have people who are taking advantage of people, we have to protect that that body of believers. And so as Paul closes with this, because this is difficult stuff, it's not always easy. It's not easy to do. I mean, I... I intentionally, in my local church, stay out of the politics, stay out of the committees, stay out of the titles. I've been there, done that, and I've been privileged and blessed to have that. But as I've gotten older and the calling that I have now um, is I, I, I want to help the body of Christ with the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given me. And with any influence for the glory of God that I can do to, to help shape leaders to bring unity into the church so that we can make disciples, that we can ground them in the word of God. So yes, there's been times where if I take note of a situation where it doesn't look healthy and that a person needs to be warned, a person needs to be admonished, and that's not my place, I will advise or speak to someone in the local church who has authority that God has given, that the government powers there have have given. It's not my place, okay? And that's important, my friends. But in the end, notice what Paul does. Say, hey, look, these aren't easy. And I know there's times where I talk to some of my fellow brothers, um, my you know fellow pastors. And they would say, man, it's just, it's really hard. I was recently talking to a pastor and, you know, he was feeling off about a particular pastor who was taking advantage of the funds in the church. And, you know, he was meddling in people's business and telling people things that were not biblically sound, you know, giving advice that was not worthy of the Lord and something that the church would back. And he was using his position um, to distort things, and he was abusing his his position as a pastor. And you know, they, they're getting bits and pieces of this, and they're kind of trying to figure things out. And he was just sharing with me the toll that it had on him. In the end, eventually, the person was not only removed but was arrested. Um, but looking back, the pastor says we could have dealt with this sooner than we did, and that was years ago. And he still has the, that regret. And so even for someone that I think of my, my fellow pastor struggling, looking at this passage and saying, we could have done more. We could have been wiser. We could have been more proactive. If that's you, even if it's not on a church level, but just in your personal life, take comfort in these last words from Paul. Because I love what Paul does here because after the weight of this, or even maybe you're the freeloader and you're listening to this right now and it's like God's speaking to you and you're like, I am a troublemaker in my church or I'm a troublemaker in my family. Whatever it is, my friends, notice what Paul says. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. I love this because, listen, you and I are not to create peace. God is the creator. 
God is the Lord of peace. When we turn to him, he will give us his peace at all times and in every way. So it doesn't matter what time of the hour. It doesn't matter what circumstance you're faced with, what you're dealing with right now. God's peace, he says, will be with you. And then he says, the Lord be with you all. This is a great reminder amid the turmoil, the divisions, that God is a God of peace. He said that again in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 and he repeats it again here in 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Despite these idlers, despite growing weary, despite the anxiety, despite the turmoil, despite the division, we need to take comfort that our peace is found solely in God. And so when Paul closes, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way that I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So not only will peace be with you all, but the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with you all. This is very common. This is a normal dictated letter. Romans 16 verse 22 is another passage. But it's also the way that he would close out in his remarks in 1 Corinthians 16, 21, Galatians 6, 11, Colossians 4, verse 18. And that's the way that, that I want in with this podcast is to remind you guys. And before I do, thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing this podcast. Thank you for joining me as we can sit together and work through whatever we're going through in our lives by opening the pages of God's word and letting the infallible, superior word, pure word of God speak to our souls. And so whatever you are doing right here, right now, listening, I pray that the Lord of peace himself will give you, my friends, peace at all times and in every way. I pray that the Lord will be with you all. I pray that the Lord himself and through his grace will love you, build you up, sustain you so that you can do the things that God has called you to do. So with that, I want to say, you guys, if you have any questions or prayer needs, you can contact us by emailing us at info at Check out standstrongministries.org, our website, where we have tons of resources that we have produced and created to help you stand strong in your faith. So if you also have um, some, some really pressing needs and you have a lot of questions, I just was spending some time this week responding to a lot of our listeners and our supporters. They were submitting some questions, some great questions. Some of them were very difficult to read because of just the pain that many people are going through. But we want you guys to know that we are here to listen to what you're going through. And if there's any questions that you have that I can hopefully uh, help you, uh, please let me know by emailing us at info at standstrongministries.org. So my friends, thank you for listening. Till next time, keep standing strong, my friends. 